2: Here. Welcome to the show. Please be seated. Uh, we got a great show for you as usual. And for a long time, tech has somewhat been indifferent on Washington and politics and increasingly has come to realize just how relevant it can be to their business model. And so you've seen an increasing involvement of the tech community in the political process. And just a few weeks ago, we actually had uh, a guest talk about um what um the scorecard actually there's a Silicon Valley group called Engine that even did a scorecard of the major presidential candidates on tech issues. And so, in light of that, in the fact that we have the upcoming California primary, which will decide the Republican and democratic races, and um, there's an open seat for the u s. Senate, which will you know obviously have a very important role as the Senator for Silicon Valley, one of them. Um, that is, is a primary for that, and so we thought it would be a good idea to, to focus on that um, as the primary approaches on June 7th, and with us, we have a very good person who knows a thing or two about California politics, um, Dario Fromer. He's a partner at Akin Gump, a powerhouse firm in Washington and here in California, and he's the former majority leader of the California State Assembly. He's also a senior advisor for Governor Gray Davis, and former chairman of the California Transportation Commission, which I believe he still serves on. Um, Dario, are you
3: with us? Good morning. How are you, Bennett?
2: Fine, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Really thrilled to have you. In um, and, and terms of, you, you've been out of politics for a couple of years. This has been a really crazy year. Do you ever think, thank God I'm out, <laughs> thank God it's not I wasn't involved back then? <laughs>
3: Well, so, you know, it, 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 there, there's no 12-step program for, uh, for politicians, so we always want to be in the mix. But I have been fascinated by the turn of events this year. It is, you're absolutely right. It's, it's a completely crazy year in terms of, uh, you know, political, uh, conventional wisdom. Yeah,
2: you know, I'm, I'm reminded of is that saying, you know, the Chinese saying, may you live in interesting times, you know, which is also supposed to be a curse. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's because it, it's double-edged sword, and, and that's kind of what we're going through this year. So um, it, we have a big race coming up in on the presidential side, clearly. Um, but before we get into that, why don't you tell us about what you're doing now?
3: Well, I'm I'm back in private practice, and I am, uh, as you said, with Aiken Gump. Uh, our uh, public law and policy group is... Uh, very well recognized as one of the top in the country. And uh, we deal with all kinds of fascinating issues, uh, dealing with uh, legislative issues, regulatory issues, public policy. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's never, never, never dull. But we help people negotiate and navigate uh, government and help them to be creative in how they engage and uh, uh, try to get some good policy results as well.
2: I noticed you have some former senators from both sides of the aisle, so that must make some interesting involvement um, at, at some of your gatherings. But I don't want to make you reveal any internal stuff. So uh, this, this, this presidential race, um, do you have a sense yeah. of uh, is California, because usually by the time it gets to California, it's over. Uh, and, and so now finally you know, we have a, a situation where you know, California is going to have a a major say in this primary. Um, Do you have a sense whether Californians are really engaged in this primary?
3: I I think they are. We've seen a huge uptick in registration, as reported by the Secretary of State, uh, largely Democratic registration. Uh, So I think there's there's interest uh, in this race. I mean, obviously, there's still a primary contest going on in the Democratic Party, which is Odd because many people thought that would be the Republican Party would have a bitter, bitter, bitter fight to the end. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of interest. We have a U.S. Senate seat. Uh, we have had no vacancy in that seat since 1992, and so I think there's a lot of reason for folks to come out and vote, and particularly on the Democratic side.
2: And um, and so, do you have any doubt that after June 7th, the, the nominee will be will have be wrapped up on both sides?
3: Well, I, I, you have to look at the math, obviously. Uh, uh, Hillary Clinton is about 80 delegates short of clinching the nomination, while Bernie Sanders would have to come up with about uh, a little more than 900 delegates uh, to do it. So the math is going in her favor. Uh, you know, having said that, Senator Sanders is still running a, a spirited campaign, as is uh, Secretary Clinton. Um, this is very similar to what we had in 2008, uh, uh, Hillary Clinton and I was a super delegate for her in 2008. Uh, she kept going right to the end, even though at, as we got into June and May, it was, seemed more apparent that Senator Barack Obama would be the presidential nominee. Um, then, so I think Sanders is doing the same thing, and I think that uh, um, it's it's good. I think it's a good, healthy uh, competition. Uh, the real test, obviously, is after after June 7th would be the last few primaries. Uh, you know, we have to bring everyone together and, and move forward to. Uh, look at the general election.
2: Now, there are some people who believe that there's been somewhat of a shift in tone by Senator Sanders that is, he's actually gotten nastier as we've gotten closer to the end. Um, do you believe that could be a problem? Uh, and do you think, you know, once June 7th comes, the, the, gloves, the gloves will, you know, people will go back to the corners and come out in a more
3: civil manner? Well, I, we can only hearken back to sort of previous uh election contests and as i said in 2008 uh secretary clinton competed uh right to the end um and going into the into the convention was sort of quiet on her intentions um but i remember being there in 2008 and being a super delegate and she called everybody in and secretary clinton said you know what obama is our guy i want all of you to support him and uh you know, it was a nice way to, to do that. I, I I think at the end of the day, I'm hopeful that Senator Sanders will do the same thing here. Um, it's on him to help unite the party, but it's also on Secretary Clinton because Senator Sanders, I think, has spoken to a lot of the anger in the electorate, much as Donald Trump has. That people are very distrustful of institutions and of the political parties, and I think his. His narrative here gives Secretary Clinton an opportunity to really talk about those issues, uh, talk about uplifting people, making sure that folks are getting uh, jobs that pay well, uh, talk about the loss of a decade where people lost a lot of money and a lot of wealth, middle-class people getting really decimated by this economy. Um, I think they, I think together they can actually unite the party and talk about issues that in November are going to be very salient for voters.
2: And, and then on the Republican side, I mean... They don't have to unite, but I, I think there's a certain, I don't know, tentativeness about what this convention is going to be like in Cleveland.
3: Well, it's looking, you know, a few months ago, everybody thought it was going to be a complete uh, circus, and now it's looking like it's going to be much more staid. Uh, certainly, you're not going to have challenges over the delegate count. Donald Trump is pretty much there now. Um and I think the question is, you know, some people say they're not going to show up for the convention. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of the party is going to unite uh, behind Trump. Not everybody. Um, but, you know, he's going through the motions right now of being an outsider who's, who's won the nomination and having to go and make peace with the establishment uh, while still keeping his base fired up. And um, he's got some time to do that. So I don't, I don't know that the Republican convention is going to be a big uh, circus event. Uh, certainly there will be some tensions there and then it's going to get played out but I don't I don't see it as a major deal for them
2: now you know, one thing that when I look at this is you know, the Democrats have superdelegates, you yourself mentioned you were one in 2008 um, yeah. do you in, in light of what has happened this year in the Republican process do you think Republicans wish they had superdelegates and then on the flip side do you think, Demo- <laughs> do you think Democrats should keep them
3: I'm sure the Republicans wish that they had super delegates. Um, and you know, I, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a bad thing. You know, most of the delegates, um, are still going to be drawn from the primary and caucus process. Um, you're also providing a way for elected officials in the party to participate. So it's, it's a balance and, um, you know, uh, it cuts both ways, but I do think that uh, at the end of the day, it's a good process, and I don't think, um, you know, we might tweak it a little bit. Maybe we make superdelegates a little less important, but um, I don't think it's a bad outcome.
2: And I actually, the very, very first race act on um, the presidential level I got involved in was actually Ted Kennedy's in 1980. And that's where the whole superdelegates came from, because you had a nominee. Who had the you know who had the math? He had delegates enough delegates to win, but there was a high level of a doubt about whether he could win. And um, unfortunately, under that system, you know, there's only one way to go, and that was potentially off the cliff. Um, so I, I think in that respect, is there's, there's value to having you know some party to having some party input to, to steer the party potentially from. Uh, A disaster, Um, but you know, I I, I imagine that's why the Republicans might find the appeal. Um, So, (laughs) so what happens next in terms of this this process? You know, there's going to be at the convention. There's the the platform committee, and we've already seen Sanders announce some of the people who uh, appoint to on his part to the committee. Would, Would you have any reaction to those appointments?
3: No, no, I really don't. I mean, I think that Senator Sanders has made it clear that, um, you know, he wants the nomination. Um, If he can't get there, then I think he has to think, how can I uh, influence the party? And really, what I hope he's thinking about is how can I bring the energy, if I'm not the nominee, how do I bring the energy and some of the issues to the party uh, in a way that uh, the party can wrap around them and we can uh, not only unite, but have uh, action on them, uh, should we have a Democratic president? I think that's what he should be thinking. About. I think he can be very positive influence. As I said, I think, I think Bernie Sanders in this has brought up a lot of good issues. Um, um, and Both candidates have, I mean, them. there's not a huge amount of disagreement between them fundamentally. Um, but those are issues that I think will continue to resonate in the fall, and then they need to be talked about because we've got to pick up this contingent of people who are just disaffected um, all over the place. So I would hope he's thinking about it as a positive role, uh, not as a, not as a spoiler, uh, not as uh, you know someone who's going to make, uh, as one of his advisors said, we're going to make it maybe messy. You know that's that's not productive. Productive no. is uh, being a part of the conversation, but making sure that those issues are addressed and making sure that, that you know the party is uh, talking about those uh, issues in fall and and reaching out to his uh, supporters. I mean they're significant.
2: No, it's interesting in terms of one of the players is Tad Devine, um, who you know, shout out to my high school when he, grew, he graduated. <laughs> you know, some 15 years before me, or whatever many years it was, um, five years, I don't know, something like that. Any event, um, he's he's older. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say. But uh, he he was involved in the Gore campaign, and Gore had a, a major um, split with some of the left and that that jumped on the Nader camp, you know, Susan Sarendon, for example, was part of the, you know, Nader saying that, you know, there's no difference between Al Gore and George Bush, which in hindsight sounds very ridiculous, but, um, and now he's, he's inside the Sanders camp and I'm I'm wondering how that, you know, how that must play in his head about, you know, clearly he's cognizant of where this can go. And so I hope that being the seasoned person he is, having worked on the Kerry and Dukakis campaigns as well, that uh, he will steer his people off away from the cliff.
3: Well, you would think so, as he's been, you know, both, you know, the insider and and now the outsider, uh, that he can play that game well. Um, But at the end of the day, it's up to it's up to Senator Sanders. You know, what direction, what tone does he want to set? What does he want to accomplish? And as I said, I think they have an opportunity, even if they can't get the nomination, to be a positive influence on the party if they choose to do that.
2: And um, you know, one other thing is that he has a future beyond this. I mean, one, he's running for re-election, but two, I mean, this he would have a prominent role uh, in in the Senate when if there's a Clinton presidency.
3: Absolutely. I mean, if they if the Democrats take the Senate back, which, you know, many people expect that they will, uh, and you're back in the majority, uh, even if he doesn't become president, Bernie Sanders can play an important role in a lot of that stuff. And to be a voice uh, with other like minded Democrats like Elizabeth Warren and others. Um, so I think he's got to be you know, mindful of that. And, and um, you know, that's part of the conversation that he needs to think through right now.
2: We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about uh, the California primary, and we're going to talk about the Senate race uh, that has an interesting matchup between Kamala Harris and Loretta Sanchez. After these messages, you're listening to Cranberry Radio.
1: Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors.
3: Important. Looking for a white label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators.
1: eBrands. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Here is Bennett Kelly.
2: We're back. We're talking with Dario Cromer, um, former Assembly Majority Leader for the great state of California. And we we're just talking about the upcoming primary in the, on the uh, presidential side in California. Do you um Darren, do you have any predictions or recommendations for vice presidential
3: selections for either either party? Well, it's you know, the vice presidential is uh a lot of factors go into that. Uh one of them is if you look at the map um and this turns out to be an election that's more like two thousand eight or twenty twelve, you know, you want to look at swing states. Right. and you wanna look at who potentially can buy you um votes and support in swing states. So if I'm Donald Trump, um, I might, number one, I need someone who's going to help me there. I also need someone who can help me unite the party. And Donald Trump, I think, needs foreign policy experience. So does he reach out to someone uh, you know, like uh, uh, John Kasich? Kasich's already said no, but you, know, you never know. You want to be vice president. It's possible. Does he look for somebody in Florida, which is another swing state? Uh, does he reach out to a uh, notable um, you know, a military, former military figure to give him some, uh, to buck him up on the foreign policy uh, edge, which could be a vulnerability for him. Um, there's a lot of factors that go into that, and uh, you have to balance all those out and also want to find someone that you can, you know, run with who's going to be a, a, an asset to the ticket. Um, for the Democrats, assuming that, that Hillary Clinton, and I do think she'll be the nominee, uh, is our nominee, um, you know, she's got some of that same math. If this comes back to a, uh, a contest where we're only really dealing with a few states in the electoral college, then you've also got to think about that. So she's got to think about Ohio, too, possibly. Uh, do you look at someone like Sherrod Brown, who's a, a sort of a populist U.S. senator uh, from Ohio, uh, you know, kind of a a good progressive uh, Rust Belt Democrat. Um, that's a person, um, you know, the Democrats also need to fire up Latino voters in uh, a number of states. Nevada would be one of them. You want to hang on to Nevada. It's gone Democrat the last few election cycles, uh, but still uh, it's kind of a purple state, not a, not a red or a blue. So do you think about somebody like uh, Congressman Javier Becerra, from here in Los Angeles, uh, who is uh, the number three in the House. Uh, he's a uh, Stanford uh, uh, Law School graduate, very bright, very articulate, uh, hard worker, uh, would bring a lot, I think, to uh, an administration. Uh, that sends a signal to Latinos who are, have been completely vilified by Donald Trump that uh, you know, this is an administration that's going to be committed to things that they care about um, but there's so much that goes into that and some of it is just likability Do you, are you going to be comfortable with this person you know, serving with them right. uh, campaigning yeah, with them yeah. as we saw with, we saw with uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Bill Clinton and Al Gore I mean Al Gore, you'd already had one guy from the South and he chose another Southerner and you'd say to yourself, well God, shouldn't you balance it out but those two had such a connection, you know, close in age, uh, you know, smart guys, intellectually curious guys, um, same philosophy.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I think that was a good choice. And then the bus trips you know, really just generated, you know, but they were able to generate a lot of enthusiasm. I also think, but it's good to hear his name come up. I think earlier they were talking about one of the Castro brothers in Texas who I thought maybe weren't seasoned enough. And obviously, Javier has done You know, he's he's brilliant, he's very articulate, and uh, I think he would make a very good running mate. Um, So let's shift gears to the Senate. And as you mentioned, there has not been an opening since 1994 or 6, was it, for Boxer? 1992. 1992. Um, And that was the the year of of the women uh, when Boxer and several other women got elected. I think at the time there were only two, there were two women in the Senate, um, Barbara Mikulski and uh, Nancy Kassenbaum. And so, and now that has changed dramatically. And and even go to Boxer's office in Washington, there's a a picture from that famous moment when she and five other House, women House members marched onto the Senate um, when the Senate was considering Clarence Thomas. And so it's definitely, this is a a landmark. We're, We're shifting into... Uh, a new era um, but it looks like the front runners in this race are both women uh, we have Kam- yeah. Kamala Harris, the, the Attorney General who we've talked a lot about on this show and Loretta Sanchez, the, uh, the congresswoman from Orange County who gained fame in 96 for beating um, B1 Bob Dornan, one of the most conservative <laughs> members of the house and can you explain, so California has a unique thing called the jungle primary What what is the jungle primary?
3: So um, California voters uh, a few years back passed a proposition that changed our primary system to one, which used to be that the top vote getter in every political party would face off in the general election. Now we have a system where the top two vote getters, regardless of party, face off. And so um, we've seen this already in a number of legislative races where the top two vote-getters were you know, Republicans or Democrats. We also had this in a congressional race, the seat a couple of years ago that the Democrats thought they could take. Um, what happened, though, their Democratic candidate, who's, who is now a congressman, Pete Aguilar, a very dear friend of mine, uh, didn't make the runoff, and the runoff was between two Republicans. So we're getting into this new era, and some people are looking at the Senate race, and if you look at the recent polls, um, the top two Candidates right now in most polls are Democrats. It's Kamala Harris and Loretta Sanchez, and there's four or five Republicans running. Uh, I've lost count, there's so many, Um, and they're all not even breaking double digits. So we could have a situation where we have a fall general election between two uh, well respected, well qualified Democrats.
2: And it's an interesting matchup. Uh, Kamala Harris was the former San Francisco. Um, district attorney before becoming attorney general. So you have the San Francisco base and you have, um, and she's um, part African-American, part um, South Asian-American. And then you have uh, Loretta Sanchez, the Hispanic from Orange County. Um, So the kind of the two power bases, two of the power bases, uh, both from geography and an ethnic point of view, creates an interesting matchup. Um, but you know, right now, Kamala Harris seems to have the edge. And why do you think that is?
3: Well, you have to remember that uh, Kamala Harris has already won two statewide elections. And even though she didn't have a major opponent uh, when she ran uh, the last time, she ran a very strong advertising campaign. So people have that name idea in their head already. She spent several million dollars on TV against uh, a no-name Republican. So you know she's going to start this race with name ID and people have already voted for us that they're comfortable. It's very hard for a House member who's only run in a certain geographic district uh, to compete with that kind of name ID, uh, you know, from the get-go, unless you have a tremendous amount of money uh, to get your name out. And the other problem for Sanchez is she just hasn't raised uh, nearly as much money as uh, Harris has in this race. So it, it's, it's tough to compete. Having said that, in the last poll I saw, he was still pulling – about 22% of the vote, um, and if she carries that into uh, the primary, uh, she will likely make the runoff.
2: Yeah, I think it's almost, yeah, I agree with you on that, so it's almost certain that, we're, that those are the two we're going to see, you know, given that, uh, what was the numbers I saw, it was something in, in the neighborhood of 30-something to 20-something, 31-21, 31-22, and uh, so that is very likely. Now, one thing that I think that's helped Harris is she's been kind of tapped since you know, becoming Attorney General as a rising star in the party. I mean, she had a major role in the um, 2012 convention. And um, you know, so do, if, if she wins, uh, it, it, what do you see her future being?
3: Well, I, I think she has a very bright future, and, and and just to be you know full disclosure here, I'm a I'm a big uh, Kamala Harris fan. I have uh, been a friend of mine for many years and supported her when she ran for a district attorney against an incumbent. Nobody thought she was going to win that race. Um, I think she's got a bright future. She's very smart. She's a hard worker. Um, she's not afraid to take on uh, issues, and I think she cares deeply about uh, a lot of issues. And and I think when you look at the Senate. She is another new face coming in there in the Senate that's changing uh, generationally. So I think she's going to have a very, very, very strong uh, run there uh, if she wins.
2: And we, we've we given her, you know, we do an annual show called Heroes and Zeros, and, uh, which is about as subtle as it sounds. <laughs> and, uh, but we've given her a, a shout out in, several times on that, you know, in our annual show for her work to date as Attorney General. Um, both in terms of privacy, but in particular for her advocacy for victims of online harassment and particularly revenge porn. Um, so we we think she, you know, I think she's done a great job as attorney general. Um, and so I, I, I think you know, that helps. I think probably has helped solidify her, her work. You know, not only has she been at a statewide level, but she's done she's gotten a lot of attention for what she's done both at the, in the state and national level.
3: Yeah, I think she's. I think she's done a, a very. She's been a strong attorney general. She's picked some good issues um, right from the beginning, where she stood up to the settlement that had been negotiated with the banks over uh, the legal foreclosures, and they sort of expected her to roll over and take it. And uh, she was the new kid on the block, and she said, "No, I'm not going to do that." And she ended up getting a much better deal uh, for the people of California. And I think so. Right from the beginning, she's shown that penchant for standing up. And trying to figure out, you know, what's the best thing to do, and uh, how do I get it done?
2: And and, and the flip side, you know, for, for Congresswoman Sanchez, you know, she's on some very important committees, Armed Services and Homeland Security, and but unfortunately, a lot of what happens in those committees are oversight, uh, and it doesn't really give. They're not. Well, their work often isn't in the front page. And, and so, while she's you know a senior member and a respected member of the House, you know her activity isn't necessarily getting her in the front page. And what it does, it necessarily, hasn't always been good.
3: Well, I, I think you're absolutely right. It's it's much harder in the House, and especially when you're in the minority,
2: yes,
1: um,
3: to make a big play and and to get involved in major legislation. And let's be candid, Congress hasn't done much since the uh, Republicans have taken over. That's not uh, it, it's gridlocked. So it's harder. But on the other hand, what I'm surprised about is if I were to say that my candidate had one vulnerability, it's national security. And having served on these committees, as Sanchez has, it seems to me that's kind of a natural for her in a time where people are apprehensive. You know, every night we have headlines about things that are, you know, troubling in the yes. world. It's a it's 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 a it's a difficult time. And I'm, I'm surprised that Sanchez has not sort of taken advantage of that mantle in a way to talk about those issues, um, which could be important. Now she may do that in the fall um, if she makes the runoff, but uh, it's sort of interesting to me that she has been, uh, and when she has done that, she sort of misstepped, you know, she uh, made some assertion about a very large percentage of uh, people of Muslim faith worldwide being, you know, terrorists. And people immediately pushed back on her that it wasn't credible and, um, which is kind of a weird thing to get out there on, right? Uh, and there's so many other issues that you could talk about from a perspective of somebody who's actually participated in decision making and knows the issues and has traveled and met with people. Um, so uh, maybe she changes that in the fall. If she gets another shot, but uh, I, I think that's been a sort of a failure of her campaign.
2: And yeah, you're right. Because if you look at her credentials, she's also she's the the founder, I think, of the. The House Military Caucus for you know families, you know people with families in the military, and I think her her ex husband was in the military, and her son just is in the military, and, and so she she can play that quite effectively. But it, today, I don't know if she has. Um, I, I've have actually seen her talk on um, cybersecurity and, and you know the threat of cyber war and uh, in a small forum, and and so yeah, you. That would be something easy to parlay. What do you, um, what do you see uh, as um, Sanchez's uh, strengths and weaknesses, other than uh, the fact that she can't get, you know, as a House member, she doesn't have the same level of, dis- of uh, visibility.
3: Well, I think her her one big strength is she's a Latina, and um, we have a growing number of voters in this state. Um, Latinos are the largest. Single group now uh, in California, and the voting strength is growing. And so part of her appeal is to say, hey, you know, why don't we elect one of our own? Why don't we have somebody who represents us? Because we have so few uh, representatives at the highest levels uh, from our community. We have just one statewide officer, Alex Padilla, the Secretary of State. And for many years, we had nobody. We had Cruz Bustamante for a little while as Lieutenant Governor, but there's been a lot of frustration with Latinos that. We're not able to advance up the ladder. Well represented in the legislatures and some city councils, so that's one strength. If she can fire up the community and really get people to get out and vote and take advantage of this uh, this fear and anger that many people feel about being vilified by Donald Trump, uh, that would be a big strength for her. Um, That would help her uh, could potentially help her prevail. Um and again I think that national security issues are, are big for her and saying someone who's had experience serving in Congress that she has, those are all good issues for her. Um whether it's enough to carry the day, you know, remains to be seen. And at the end of the day, I think it really comes down to what issues the California voters really care about in November and choosing a US senator. Is it gonna be about foreign policy? Is it gonna be about the economy? What are the other factors? Right now it feels like the economy is the big issue. And um and so it's going to be interesting to see how each of them play to that uh, in November.
2: And and I guess for for Harris, it's somewhat of a, a shift because you know law enforcement, you know, it, how do you speak to the economy in your role as law enforcement? And you know that you know, that that that's a messaging shift. And how do you think she's
3: done on that? I think Harris has, as I said, I think she has one. Signature accomplishment that speaks volumes about that, and that is this getting this deal that the banks were trying to negotiate with the uh, uh, attorney generals of many states. She blew it up, and she said, "This is not enough to compensate the people for the damage that you did with your practices in the uh, in in foreclosure and in predatory lending." Um, So I think she's got a hook to talk about that and say, "I understand. Um, I'm going to keep pushing on that and make sure that we have safeguards uh, that we're doing things that will." Uh, you know, help preserve home ownership, so she's got a little a little way uh, a little wedge in there, uh, as she does on some other issues. you know the attorney general gives you a great deal of platform not just to deal with law enforcement issues, which of course are critical, but environmental issues and she's taken on sure. some fights uh you know, going after the pipeline operator in Santa Barbara after that, that oil spill. Uh, she has sued some counties over there. Um, transportation plans and really ruffled some feathers took on that fight with the environmental organizations to say, if you're going to plan for transportation, you have to account for greenhouse gas emissions and you have to plan to reduce those emissions. Um, so she's done some groundbreaking things that give her a, a, a broader, you know, platform that she could talk about than just law enforcement.
2: Now, if, if Trump, you know, given that Trump will be the nominee uh, a large Latino turnout could definitely create a, a spike for Sanchez and make the race. I mean, right now, thirty-one forty-three. I guess in a, in a field of seven, you know eight major candidates, um, I imagine it's going to be much tighter once we get to the fall and you know the turnout. Who turns out is going to be important.
3: I think I think that is a, a very very uh, valid uh, possibility that you get into the fall and already. We are seeing efforts to really um, take that anger and that concern in the Latino community and focus it and say, hey, we need to vote. We don't vote in numbers that are nearly commensurate with where we should be. And if we get people fired up, someone like Sanchez could absolutely benefit, although Harris has a lot of very high-profile Latinos backing her. Um, and she's done a good job, I think, with the Latino community in terms of uh, reaching out and uh, taking on some concerns and and uh, being accessible. Okay. But that's a real possibility that you get a bump and people say, Yep, I'm mad at Trump, and I'm voting for sanchez.
2: and, and one other issue on that point is what if Javier Vasera is a nominee? Uh, has he I, I haven't even looked has he has he endorsed?
3: Uh, in the Senate race? I don't yes. know.
2: I can look it up quickly, but I would suspect, given that the party itself has endorsed Harris, um, that Javier is one of the people endorsing, but I'm not sure. Um, you know, That would be a major coup for, for her to have the, you know, granted uh, Loretta would benefit by having Javier on the ticket because of, of the, it would spike turnout at the same time. Um, if he's if Javier's endorsed uh, Kamala, that just changes the ball game in that respect. I don't see him miss it as an endorser.
3: Yeah, he may may have stayed out because you know it's the house. That's one of his colleagues, and he may even be with Sanchez. I don't I don't know.
2: It could be. Um, so. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to um, wrap this up and let you can tell us anything else that you're up to. Um, and uh, and today is National Geek Pride Day. So all of you have pride in... Uh, <laughs> for, for those of you geeking out today. And if you want show notes on uh, information on um, Dario and about this race, we have uh, on our blog at um, cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. We'll be back after these messages... You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report only on cranbradyradio.fm.
1: Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at box speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. Looking for a better way to get more traffic and interaction to your Facebook page? Imagine Facebook interactivity on your page like you've never seen. Introducing your new Facebook marketing fix, The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Here is Bennett Kelly.
2: Now, Dario, you were termed out uh, in the Assembly do you have a view whether term limits have been a good thing or a bad thing for California?
3: I, I, I think term limits are a horrible uh, idea. And I think what happened is uh, we have uh, neutered our legislature. Um, you know, the voters, there are term limits in, in, a, in a free system. The voters can vote somebody out anytime they want. Um, and you can make the playing field fair uh, if you want to, but just arbitrarily kicking people out, is bad uh, because nobody gets institutional um, knowledge. I mean, the people it used to be, I, I started out as a young uh, staff guy working in the state Senate in the eighties before term limits. And you had people in both houses who were very knowledgeable in both parties on, on subject matter. And uh, when they ran the committees and they did legislation uh, was extremely thoughtful and and, and and smart. And there was a real effort to try to make policy. We didn't always succeed. Um, it has really just become uh, uh, an institution that's more dominated by special interests, uh, by lobbyists, uh, because the members and the staff uh, don't really know the subject areas. And people were jumping around from committee to committee and thinking about their next election. The good thing that the voters did, I think, was a couple of years ago, we adjusted term limits to say now the old system was you could serve – a uh, total of 14 years, you could serve six in the Assembly and eight in the State Senate. Um, what we're now saying is you can serve 12 years in either house or or any combination. And I think particularly in the State Assembly, this is going to be a big improvement uh, for us because I think that gives the members time to learn, uh, to chair committees, to understand issue areas better, uh, to take a longer view of public policy. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm very hopeful. I think we're already seeing uh, some benefits from that uh, adjustment. Uh, so I, I I would say that uh, if we're going to keep term limits, then having the longer term and the option of staying in one house or the other for 12 years is uh, is not a bad thing.
2: So when, for example, when you're a majority leader, you can only be majority leader for two years because then you were leaving, correct?
3: I was majority leader about years I came Three, in yeah. uh, halfway through my second yeah it was it was a short time but for example prior to that I was chair of the Health Committee and I remained on that committee for all the time I was in the legislature It was an issue that I was very interested in and, and remain interested in today uh, is healthcare um, but uh, you know my my tenure as chairman was relatively brief
2: and given that it, this this shows about cyber law and I remember at the time this, when the term was went into effect you know the internet legislation in the U.S. and in general was was at a nascent level, and but a lot of it had come from California, and and the people who were involved in that legislation, um, you know, Deborah Bowen, um, Senator, you know, Senator Murray, um, and and others, Jackie Speier, all of mm-hmm. them all of a sudden, poof, at the same time, are gone. And, and so right. you now have zero institutional knowledge on right. a, a very critical issue in a very important, you know, at least growing important part of the California economy. And, and so it was quite troubling. And actually, uh, working with the bar, we created a primer on cyberspace issues for you know the, the new incoming legislators so that they at least could get up to speed somehow. There was some resource for them to turn to. But I, I think, yeah, in, in especially in specialized areas of legislation, it's, it's very it's very
3: concerning. Yeah, it really is. I think it's really had a, a detriment. And, and, and also, in dealing with oversight, which is an important function of the legislature, right? And when you bring uh, – we used to do a lot of oversight. Um, now, very little, um, because I think people don't understand the value of oversight uh, on agencies – um, but the other thing is when you do engage in oversight and you try to take corrective action, uh, some of these agencies, their attitude is, okay, um, I know you're going to be gone in a couple of years, so I'm going to sit tight and tell you what you want to hear. But once, you, once you're gone, there's going to be nobody to hold my feet to the fire, if you will. And I saw that happen a lot. Uh, Tony Cardenas is now a congressman, uh, was my colleague, was the chair of the budget committee. And Tony did a really great job as budget committee chair, bringing in these agencies and really going after them and nailing them down on stuff. And why isn't, you know, why aren't you doing a better job of doing this? Or you got to do this? Or we're going to put language in the budget uh, about this. But they all knew that Tony's time was there was limited. And they, you know, once he was gone, I, they they just it was like the conversations didn't happen, and that's unfortunate uh in in some of these instances because there's just nobody to follow up there's that's not somebody else's issue it just gets dropped
2: so it's january twentieth uh twelve o one who whose hand is on the Bible, and what California senators are there watching <laughs>
3: Well, my, my, my fervent hope is that it will be, uh, will be Hillary Clinton uh, or Bernie Sanders. I think it's probably more likely to be Hillary Clinton right now. Uh, I do think at the end of the day that uh, Kamala Harris will be our next U.S. Senator. And uh, uh, so I think that's that will be our, our team in Washington, D.C.
2: Well, there you have it from Dario Frommer. A prediction, I think. One that wouldn't surprise a lot of people. And uh, I think there's a good chance it may happen given this very strange election year. Derek, do you have anything um, you want to announce, let people know? Are you speaking anywhere or anything you'd like them, like viewers, listeners, to check out?
3: Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm involved with the uh, Unruh Institute of Politics at USC, which is a fabulous program uh, run by an old friend of mine who happens to be a a former Republican. His name is Dan Schnur, and they're doing a great job of really teaching kids uh, how to uh, engage in government, how to engage in politics, how to be thoughtful. Uh, I'm trying to get uh, folks to look at public service, not just elected politics, but. You know, getting into government service as something that's worth pursuing. Uh, and so I'm a I'm a uh, a fellow there, uh, working there with some of my other former colleagues from the legislature and uh, other offices. And it's a it's a great program and uh, something worthwhile to support.
2: Where can people find that? Is that is that on the web or is it?
3: Is it yeah, I go on the web. that's at, at uh, Unruh uh, Institute of Politics. It's at USC. And, uh, and I should, yeah, I, should ha- I should have the address in front of me, but I don't. I'm not I'm not being right. cyber savvy today.
2: Um, <laughs> and uh, you're also Aiken Gump is achinggump.com. Do you have a, a Twitter account yourself or no?
3: I am not a Twitter guy. No, I'm oh. behind the times. A, a tweetless. Yeah. <laughs> I'm tweetless. A- 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 articulate but tweetless. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But, you know, that's one of those, yes, if if, uh, if a tree falls in the forest and no one tweets about it, does it, did, it did
3: it happen? It doesn't, it doesn't exist, right? Ex- did it happen? So,
2: but I want to thank you very much. It was a great honor to have you. Uh, you know, you've had a great career, and uh, our, I want to thank my our mutual friend Mario for helping with this. And um, so one other question. There could be another opening in California in the Senate if uh, in nine, in 2018 with Senator Feinstein. Uh, who do you think would be the front-runner for that position?
3: Well, that's going to be another uh, interesting question because uh, it will attract, I think, a wider spread of people. So you've got um, Secretary of State Alex Padilla, uh, I think would very much like to run for that. He was a staffer for Feinstein, and he's always wanted to go to the Senate. I think he'd be a terrific candidate. Uh, As would our mayor, Eric Garcetti. I think uh, Eric is... uh, someone who has got a bright future in front of him. Um, He's done a great job uh, leading the city. I think he could get in the race. Um, You know, if people who don't make it this year uh, to certain higher offices, may decide that they want to come back and give it another try uh, in 2018. So I think it'll be quite an interesting, uh, uh, you know, cast of characters running for that seat because the timing is, is a little bit uh, different. Um, but you uh, I mean, do you have uh, do you have anybody people thinking uh, that they're going to run for governor right now? Do they decide that they want to go to uh, the Senate uh, instead?
2: I um, think that's what it be, is. I you think, know, yeah, I think Gavin seems seems to be trying to lock up the governor's race you know, by doing it early. Right. And so I think yeah, would make someone like Eric, who I think would be natural in the Senate, um, more likely I think to look that way.
3: Yeah, I, mean, I think that's, I mean, you, you, I mean, does, does John Chung decide he'd rather run for the Senate than run than run for governor? Does uh, someone uh, who's already run statewide three times and has a, an excellent reputation uh, with uh, with the party faithful? I think mean, there's a lot of people in that race. I think it'll be a little different. I, I was surprised that more people didn't run this year yeah, uh, for the Senate uh, on our side. Uh, but I do think that uh, if it comes up again uh, with senator feinstein deciding to retire i think we'll see an even wider field uh the good news is we have a lot of great great people on the bench uh who could t- step in and and do that job uh and do it well for california so that's a we have a uh we have we have a, a blessing of of good candidates and good possibilities there
2: i agree well thank you very much dario it's been a pleasure um, best of luck to you. Check out Dario at Aikengump.com and um, he'll be tweeting to you some point in the future.
3: All <laughs> oh, right, Ben, and I'll have you show me how to do all that stuff because I can you know, I can barely do my, my uh, email. So
2: Thanks again. And uh, thank you all for joining us. I wanted to give a shout-out. Happy birthday to my sister, Maureen. Um, this is the day she gets her Medicare card, so it's a big day for her. And I hope you all have a great day. Join us next week. Um, for another edition of Cyber Alarm Business Report right here on Cranberry Radio.
1: The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry News Marketing and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited.